0: We thank you for the eternal word of God. In an amazing way, this word has been studied and taught and preached from for thousands of years by gatherings like this around the globe. And every time disciples grow, we, we, we're amazed at the living word of God. And so we come to you in the heart of those millions now, even billions of people throughout history that have come even to this text tonight today to hear from the holy spirit and we ask that you increase our faith and our ability to hear and we bless our brother Steve and we ask for an anointing on him lord the words and the thoughts and the prayers that he's been investing in this last weeks to study and hear from you let them now come out and bear fruit in our lives that your word would be like seed planted deeply in the soil of our hearts that will produce fruit for your kingdom, for our lives, and the advance of your kingdom, in our time, in our place, come, Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. So uh, I've had an incredible week while I studied. Um, that is really bright. Um, I studied a lot, <laughs> and I listened to a ton of different pastors talk about the stuff I'm going to be talking about today, and. Uh, I learned a lot of words in Greek that I can't pronounce. And uh, that really reminded me of back in the er when I first showed up here and I used to serve on Tuesday nights. We had a youth group in the back on Tuesday nights. And somebody brought, I think it was Dilly, brought a Bible in Pidgin, which is the language I think they speak in Hawaii or something originally. And uh, I don't know, it just it made me laugh because it sounds like, uh, you know... Jesus said, this one too, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's hilarious. And uh, I don't know, I just wanted to really, I wish I could speak pidgin instead of Japanese or something and get up here and speak it in pidgin, but I can't, I'm sorry. I also had an incredible week because of what a family we have here. I don't know if you guys know it, but this is a room full of Barnabases. Um, every time I get the privilege of doing something like this, um, everyone's behind me. You know, I can't tell you how many phone calls I got and how many people I saw in town. We happened to see each other at Costco or whatever. And they're, oh, by the way, you're speaking. Yeah, yeah, let me pray, you know. And um, emails and Facebook posts. And it's just amazing. It's like uh, I'm about to date myself. You guys remember the movie Rocky? You know, and he's all beaten beef and stuff, you know. And uh He's, he's by himself. It's the lone struggle that Americans seem to love. And then one day he's running in the morning and the whole town comes and follows him running through town, right? And he gets to the top of the stairs. You know? And that's about where I'm at right now, you know? Because my church follows me and takes me with them. And everywhere I go, they, they're pushing me along. And it's just amazing. I mean, I could be making coffee or something, and I'd hear Rocky in the background, and all my friends, yeah, good job, I don't even drink coffee, but you know. (laughs) We have a great church for that, and I think a lot of churches do that, but there's something that gets in the way of that, and uh, we're going to talk about that today. Um, There's a lot of things that people disagree upon in the Bible and in church and how we should do things, and it really goes too far a lot of times, right? Uh, like one, uh, I remember uh, the big controversy uh, the first few years when I was uh, studying uh, was whether you should be pre-tribulation or mid-tribulation or post-tribulation. Or, and, uh, you know, no, I want to stay and fight for that seven years. or No, I want to be transported out of here and raptured and I, mean, I kind of think we don't have a choice. It's going to happen how it happens, you know? <laughs> uh, I heard someone say that I'm, I believe in pantrib. I'm going to wait and see how it pans out, and then I'll tell you. <laughs> but we find the funniest things to argue about. We, ha- we have church splits over stuff like this, and I think that's what Paul was talking about at this point in Philippians. It, it seems to me that this is the entire point of the letter that he wrote. All these things he's building up that we should be this way and we should do this and we should be like that kind of leads up to this one moment when he brings up, I plead with, uh, I, I, I watched like 42 films of people preaching this and I learned 42 <laughs> new ways to say these names. Um, Udiah and Sintek, I think. Uh, I plead with Udiah and Sintek to be of the same mind in the Lord. Or maybe we should put our own names there, you know? I, I plead to Fred and George to be of the same minds in the Lord and quit arguing over whether the Raiders or the Chargers are going to win next time. you know? <laughs> it's very important that we're of one mind. It really is. It's brought up again and again and again in the Bible. He even talks about it earlier in Philippians at, uh, in, in the second chapter. Value others above yourselves, which is just so easy to do, right? Not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And that's hard to do when you think someone's wrong. I mean, it's nearly impossible. I don't know, maybe it is for me, and not you guys, it's just me. (laughs) But Paul talks about this in many of his letters. He goes on and on and on about being the same and, and putting other people first, which puts him in good company because, you know, Jesus said, this one too. <laughs> there, <laughs> in Matthew, Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go be reconciled with them then coming off of your gift. So I'm thinking this whole reconcile thing and forgiveness and, and all that is pretty important because it's supposed to come before your offering. And the Jews were pretty big on this offering thing, you know? I mean, a higher percentage of them back then tithe than we do. Um, anyway, that's, that's another, an, another day. It got totally quiet when I brought up ties. Did you see that? (laughs) Everybody's hand went to their wallet, you know? (laughs) And so when he says this, I plead with Udiah or Steve and John to to be of the same mind in the Lord. Uh, We we figure out that these people are arguing. They're arguing about something. And they're not just a couple of people that show up sometimes to church it's causing an issue. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have heard about it all the way in prison in another town and took the time to write a letter to help with it. It mattered. So that also uh, brings me to another rabbit trail. These must have been women who were in leadership in the church. They must have been. Because who would care what they were saying? It wouldn't be that big a deal unless people were going to follow them into this turmoil and church-splitting argument. So anyway, yeah, women can lead in the church, by the way. We, we'll talk about it later. Uh, <laughs> and so then Paul knew that this Paul would be, this letter would be written to the entire church. And so he's kind of phrasing things in a way that not only these two are going to hear about it and not only the next guy that he's about to talk about it, but he knows that it's going to come from the podium and everyone is going to hear about this argument so obviously everyone already knew about the argument it wouldn't be very politically correct to stand up and say oh by the way they're having an argument this was something that was a big deal at the time it was church splitting and, uh, and Paul wanted to stop it and so we're not sure who the guy was that he's talking about here but he says yes and I ask you my true companion help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement, which I'm assuming is another leader in the church, and the rest of my workers, whose names are in the book of life. And see, it's really interesting here. He groups them all together. He takes both of these women and mentions a couple other people that have all worked together to, to, uh, to build this church, and then says, we're all in the book of life. And so we're all kind of equal. Nobody's loved here more than the other. It doesn't matter who's right. I love the way he brings them together in that. Because when when you talk about the relationship of all of us together, the petty arguments seem to be so much smaller, right? They were big a second ago when it's just me being mad at so-and-so. But then all of a sudden when we bring the whole community into it, the argument itself actually shrinks. These kind of arguments can cause so much problem, and Paul gives us three steps to get out of it. When this happens, this is what you do. It's one of the things I love about Paul. Uh, not only does he practically quote Jesus constantly, he uh, he's always giving like little systems of how to get out of jail. You know. Um. The first one, step one, is developing a habit of rejoicing. The first book I read in the Bible after accepting Christ was Philippians. I was at work, and I had a lot of time on my hands, and I called Ron, because that's what I did. Anytime I I wanted to know what to do, I would call Ron, and Ron said, why don't you start in Philippians? And uh, I thought that was weird, because it's not the beginning of any book. You know, well, it's, I guess it's the beginning of the book of Philippians, right? But it's not the beginning of the Old Testament. It's not the beginning of the New Testament. It's just, uh, it's Philippians. It's a letter. But he told me to do something really interesting. He said to count how many times I find the words joy and rejoice. And he said that that would matter in, in, in my life at that point, in my growth. And it really did. It, it changed my outlook on things. And uh, when I was talking to Ron about bringing that up, he thought maybe I should count them so I could tell you how many it was. And I made the decision this morning, I'm not going to tell you because I want you to do it. <laughs> and, you know, I could do the homework, but, you know, honestly, check it out. It's, it's pretty amazing. But he's going to say rejoice and joy so many times in, in a four-chapter letter. It's a, it's a short letter, or a short book anyway. And he's going to say it so many times because it's so important. It's key in living a Christian life. Page two. Did you know that there is no antonym for rejoice? Now, that's not my own wisdom. I looked it up. You know, somebody else did it, said it. And I decided to look it up, and it turns out it's true. There is no antonym. It's something of its own. You either rejoice or you don't. There's no no anti-rejoice, you know? I think that's because joy is not really an emotion, right? Like happiness has sad. Uh, Yeah, anyway, I could go down that rabbit hole a long time. James 1, 2, 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so when I'm mad at so-and-so because they believe in pre-trib and I don't, or however it is, Or when someone's mad at me and I'm not even sure why. Or when I run out of milk and I'm trying to pour my Cheerios and all these things happen, I should consider it joy. And it's really hard for me to do that. It is. Unless I really look at the big picture. Because like, I remember losing a job and, and, and being nervous about that and being hurt about that and Someone came up to console me, and they said, well, you know, you lost this job because God's got a better one. And I'm not sure I'm buying that. I'm really not. Because what if God's idea of a better job isn't my idea of a better job, you know? <laughs> it, could, it could be something completely different. But what I do know for sure is that whatever's happening in this situation, he's going to use it. And he's going to use it for multiple things, because God's like that, right? He's outside of this plane of existence, and he can take care of all kinds of stuff at once with one little action, or even a word. I mean, he built everything with one word, so I'm good with that, right? And so what I'm thinking is, is maybe I lost that job because there's this guy on a corner somewhere that doesn't know Jesus. And since I lost my job, I drove home another way, and I get to meet this guy, Right, which totally makes me the sacrificial lamb and, you know, wow, look at me. But no, I got to grow in that experience. So it was better for both of us because the job wasn't my provider in the first place. Jesus is. I think perspective is everything as a Christian. It really is. Step two in this little plan to so learn to be patient with each other. Now, I have, I have grandkids, and, and that's after raising three daughters. Um, and both of my... I have two granddaughters, no boys. Um, <laughs> 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 Not going to go down that road. Um <laughs> Your kids are going to make mistakes, right? And, and when they make mistakes... Do you hate them or do you think they're horrible people? No, they're kids. They're just kids. And so you might discipline them. That might involve a spanking or time in the corner or timeouts or or however it is you choose to discipline your kids. But the point is they're, they're not condemned because they made a mistake. They're not condemned because they were wrong. And so why is it so easy for us to do that to each other? Like if one of us makes a mistake, why can't we take the same attitude that we take with our children? Not to say that we should treat people like children, not that at all, but can't we have the same compassion with an adult that we do with a a kid or the same patience? Because we all have different lessons that we've already learned, which means we have different lessons that we have yet to learn. And so, if someone hasn't learned something that I have, or the other way around, maybe if we're patient with each other, we all get to learn instead of, you know, starting new churches and stuff. New. <laughs> Writing different Bibles that say different stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's funny uh, with that patience with each other that comes from Philippians 4, 5, where he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And the word gentleness is a Greek word I can't can't even begin to say. But in the ESV, they translated that word reasonableness. And so you got to wonder, is it reasonableness or is it patience? Um, Maybe if you look at both, you could see what, the original language was trying to say. It was talking about being patient, being reasonable, acting like an adult when someone's wrong, right? Does that make sense to you? And then those last four words in it are amazing to me. The Lord is near. So why do you suppose he said the Lord is near right after he talked about being gentle with each other? Anyone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Papa's home. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but you know, I I kind of rebelled a little bit as a teenager. And when the parents' car was in the driveway, all of a sudden everything changed. You know. Not only that, Paul believed that he would see Jesus' return in his lifetime. He believed that. A lot of the disciples did. I think all of them, maybe. But they had this attitude that it could happen any minute. I think we're supposed to have that attitude, too. Not just to be afraid, but to be like, yeah. Like uh, uh, that old lottery commercial, you know? You hear hear the guy in the background, someone's holding a lottery ticket, and it's not quite scratched yet. And in the background, you hear, maybe, you know? (laughs) I'm about to be rich. (laughs) You know? The same idea. He might come today. But then that also brings up the idea. Have I cleaned up any messes? Am I holding a brother in resentment? Maybe I should handle that right now. Just like uh, back here when Jesus said, don't even bother going inside. Leave your gift at the altar and go reconcile. I think... That's what Paul was up to. He was, it's like he was putting a stopwatch on it. It's like this action that's about to happen. Remember, remember uh, I don't know, I didn't run track, but I saw people in movies who knew people who ran track. But <laughs> there's, there's always that coach guy, the real judgmental yelling guy that, that has that stopwatch. And he's like, okay, go, click. And you need to get this done now. You need to go all the way around it. I think that's what Paul was doing. And, and Paul... Talks about this right here in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that, uh, I'm doing great here. Uh, They do it to get a crown that will, will not last but we do it to get a crown that lasts forever therefore i do not run like someone running aimlessly i do not fight like a boxer box beating at air no i strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that i had, uh, so that after i have preached to others i myself will not just be disqualified for the prize this is a race we don't get to say, you know, ah, I got time. You know, it's not like Pink Floyd, there is time to kill today. <laughs> the third step in fixing broken relationships is bring your anxiety to God. Paul says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God." Yeah, that's easy. See, the way I see it, is anxiety is like uh, I think most of us drive here, right? And you're getting ready to run out of gas and all of a sudden this ding, this light shows up on your dashboard to let you know that some sort of maintenance needs to be done. And if it's the gas gauge, then that means you're supposed to stop and get gas. If it's the, the temperature gauge, maybe you need some water. If it's the oil gauge, you better go see a mechanic because who knows how to put oil in their car anymore. Um. <laughs> but it's a meter. It's... it's Anxiety is not there to worry forever. You know, like there's that that two-in-the-morning worry when you wake up. And there's nothing you can do about it, except just sit there and not sleep. That's not what anxiety is for. It's misused anxiety. Anxiety is there so that you know, hey, it's time to pray. I am in a situation. The water's coming up. I'm in a situation pretty, I'm going to sound like, you know. At some point, you got to realize, okay, God, right? Uh, actually, oh, this part's free. It just came to me. Uh, Peter on the water, right? He He's on the water. He's doing that one thing. He's walking like no one's ever done before besides Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he kind of gets afraid, and he starts to sink, and he calls out, Jesus. He did exactly the right thing in that moment. You're supposed to call out. That's the, That's the ticket right there. Now imagine, if every time... I got upset with my brother, I would call out to God with it. That anxiety told me I need to talk to him. Well, he might set me straight, right? He might remind me to be patient. He might not, I don't know. But (laughs) Jesus talks about anxiety in Matthew. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, or about your body what you will wear is not life more than food the body more than clothes look to the birds of the air they do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not much more valuable than they can any can anyone can any one of you sorry Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? So all this anxiety does us no good unless we take it to God. And then we realize the thing that we're anxious over, God's the one that can fix it anyway. When you take (laughs) God is love, that's actually in the Bible. I read it. I did. If he is love and you take him and you put him on a situation doesn't that take care of all the unforgiveness and, and, and the lack of patience and all these things that we're talking about? Jesus was the perfect example, well, on any topic I want to bring up, but in this particular topic, he was the perfect example because it actually talks about a time when Jesus was anxious. And he took his friends out into the woods at night and said, hey, watch over me while I pray. I still don't understand why, but he did. He asked him to do that. And he, he went off a, a stone throw away from him, and he knelt down because he knew where he was about to go. And I have to tell you, I've had a lot of situations in my life, a lot of things that I was anxious about, and sometimes I was smart enough to go to God on it, and sometimes I wasn't. But none of them came even close to equaling what Jesus was going through that night. Because that night, he knew he would be arrested and and brought to the cross. I can only imagine the anxiety he must have felt. But when he was praying, this is what he said. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, (laughs) Yet not my word, not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. Now, notice, after that prayer, Jesus still went to the cross. He didn't pray to God and God just suddenly erased it. Oh, never mind. Jesus still had to go through the trial that he needed to go through and he did it for us. I think that deserves an amen, yeah. (laughs) But God was with him, and an angel tended to him. That's fairly amazing. Hebrews 12.2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I love those words. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right, at the, at the right hand of the throne of God. I think at that point, the, uh, the argument goes away, you know? But these three things that you do, they'll end any argument. If you choose to take that path, if you choose, I've got to remind myself here, if you choose to develop a habit of rejoicing, if you choose a developing a habit of rejoicing, there was something I forgot to say about that. Oh, my goodness. Years and years ago, when I, I first came into recovery, um, I still remember my first assignment. Um, and I, it really made me mad because my sponsor was a jerk. He, uh, he made me because I was mad at the world. I, I had ruined my life at this point. And the reason I had ruined my life was... Everyone out there, you no, know, because I couldn't stop drinking and using. And uh, I was very bitter. And so he made me pick out 10 things that I was grateful for every morning. And, and that part's easy, right? I mean, I could spit out 10 false answers all day long. But uh, he made me do it 30 days in a row. And I wasn't allowed to repeat anything on the list. <laughs> <laughs> and, And that was the easy part. If I skipped a day, I had to start fresh but save the old list and still not use that stuff. It took me like six months to get through this stupid list. But at some point, I found myself being grateful for things that went wrong because of what I learned from them. And being grateful for people I used to be mad at because they were right in that situation. And it taught me something. And so if you choose to develop a habit of rejoicing, even when things aren't the way you want them to be, and if you choose to do these other things I can't find in my notes, uh, if you choose to learn to be patient with each other, and if you choose to bring your anxiety to God, there should never really be a problem. I'm not good with that word never. It should be easier to avoid problems here in the fellowship of the church. A lot easier. And then Paul goes on to the promise. With those three things, or all the stuff he listed out, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. that's another spot where we all go, amen. Amen. Anyone know what transcend even means? Anyone? I can't even hear you guys. (laughs) Rise up, I like it. Rise above. Good stuff. Actually, I have it right here. And the first words it says is to rise above. Nice. You guys are smart. You know that? <laughs> it also says overpass. Ah! <laughs> I didn't mean for that part to get up there. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so if you notice on there, At the end of that, it talks about a theology when it has to do with theology. It says, of the deity to be above and independent of the universe, time, etc. So if you look at it from that point of view, it kind of makes it even a bigger concept, doesn't it? It's not just above, it's completely outside of, not even needing the other to exist. Completely other than. And so what Paul's saying here is that the peace of God is so far out there we could never really understand it. Not even close. It's way above. I think it's also awesome that peace isn't something we have to earn. I mean, we could do things to kind of help peace happen, but peace is another one of those things that just happens with God. It just happens. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's like number three on the list, so I'm thinking like the ingredients are the most in in order. You know, they descend, you know? (laughs) Maybe not, I don't know. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is praiseworthy, think about such things. And this is actually the spot where I was supposed to talk about the gratitude list, so jump back a little bit. That gratitude list changed me. All the way back then, I wasn't even a Christian then, but it changed me, at least for a temporary time, because my focus changed. Something would happen, and instead of looking for the bad in it, I started looking for the good in it, because I had this stupid list to write, and after a while, I began to even love the list. Um, I I have a roommate right now who who is a photographer, so I've been thinking a lot of cameras. And you ever notice that, like, if you take a picture or even, you know, you use your iPhone and just, yeah. Um, But if you're taking a picture and you want the people in the picture or the people looking at the picture to notice the face, then you just kind of focus it in and the face gets crystal clear, right? But everything behind it goes completely blurry. And it makes it obvious that your attention's on the face. It makes you really want to look at the face. You don't even notice stuff because it's so blurry. I think that's what, uh, that's what Paul's talking about right here. He's talking about, think about those things. Think about this stuff that, that is noble and admirable and pure and, instead of thinking of the negative all the time. And so you can do that on a macro level. You can look at your life and be like, wow, things are good. Look at what God created here. Or you can be like, why is it so foggy today? You know, either way. But I think really what Paul's actually pointing at here is on a micro level. I think he's saying that Erodia, try to look at Syntech with a different focus. Try to see the good in her. Try to see what God is in love with, with her. And imagine if we all did that with each other. It'd be a different place, a totally different place. There was one time, uh, (laughs) I was really upset with someone. And it wasn't even anything from what they did. It was... uh, They had something I wanted. And so every time I looked at them, my jealousy caused me to uh, see the bad in them, which most of was just created in my own mind. And so um, someone that I look up to suggested that I pray for this person. And, uh, And I'm like, you know, oh yeah, God... I pray that this person actually sees your knowledge of his will for him for once. And then I found out that's not how you're supposed to pray for people, you know? <laughs> and so I started praying for his success. And I started praying for his blessing. I started praying that God would build him. And I started cheering him on the same way that people were cheering me on all week with love. Now I'm in love with that person. I think this, this dude's great. It changed my focus. So Paul goes on to say, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Which is kind of like saying, do what I teach you. And once again, I'll say, oh, Jesus said this one too. Jesus is talking about the part where he's telling us about the wise and the foolish builders. And he says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. That's exactly what Paul's trying to say here. I'm telling you what to do. There's three beautiful steps. that are going to help you in in relationship with your your peers. If you use them, it's going to work out well for you. And then he says one of the most profound things. I love it. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, of course, the God of peace is with you all the time, right? But I think he's talking about that more potent, Holy Spirit-driven moment, like what we had earlier today, here, right here in the room, when you can just reach out and touch him. That feeling that like you're swimming in the spirit. That peace. That overwhelming peace. There's a blessing in numbers that people were supposed to be blessed with. And I'm hoping that being at church today and learning about this section of the Bible blesses you in the same way. It says, Lord, bless you and keep you and cause his face or his continence. Now you got to understand, continence, when they they say continence, that's a little more than just his face. That's his being, his essence, all of it focusing at you. Like the clouds aren't in the way on a nice summer day and you feel that warmth. I think that's what they're talking about here. Is that his countenance is to shine on you and give you peace. Now I don't know about you guys, but I think that some of you have had some of the same dealings that I've had and some of the same failures that I've had. I think that maybe there's relationships in your past that you didn't get the chance to you can get the chance to fix them. And if there's still a chance, click. Stopwatch is running. Jesus could come back any moment. If you're having a hard time with that, I think maybe today's a good day to get prayer for that. Also, if you're like me, it might be too late with some people. My dad died before I could reconcile. If There's some of, you in, some of you here that have that same pain. then I urge you, please come forward for prayer today. Because today's the day to handle that. Today's the day to get that out of the way so that you can finally have peace in that area of your life.